Hi, and welcome to the Makers, Dreamers, Doers podcast with me, Morgan Barrett. For today's episode, I sat down with Jelaine Williams, a longtime friend of mine and the Assistant Executive Director at the Kansas City Chapter of the Cystic Fibrosis Foundation to talk about alcoholism and sobriety. Jelaine stopped drinking alcohol in 2018 after a night where she said something hurtful to a friend. It was the wake-up call that made her realize that drinking was no longer working for her and she needed to quit. I made the decision to stop drinking in April 2023, not after any particular event, but after 15 years of consuming alcohol on an increasingly regular basis. I wanted to be more present with my kids and husband, and the shame and guilt I felt after a night of drinking became no longer worth it to me. I made a list of pros and cons to quitting, and I'm here nine weeks later feeling really good about my decision to live alcohol-free. Jelaine and I talk about our journeys to sobriety, leaning on therapy to work through trauma, what's changed in our lives since we quit drinking, the rewards and challenges of being a sober person, the drinking culture, alternatives to AA, and its definitions and approaches, and more. I hope you enjoy our conversation, but before listening, please do note the following trigger warnings, addiction and rape. And one last note, if you are struggling with your consumption of alcohol or just curious about getting sober, Jelaine and I are both safe people to reach out to, and we're each happy to lend an ear. Here we go. Today on the podcast, I have Jelaine Williams, who's the Associate Executive Director of the Kansas City Chapter of the Cystic Fibrosis Foundation. She's a mom to three adult kids, a fur mom to an evolving number of cats and dogs, a creative human, avid reader, and a woman living joyfully sober since 2018. Jelaine and I have known each other for about a decade as I volunteered on the Cystic Fibrosis Foundation board and several committees over the years. And uh, so I'd love to get give Jelaine an opportunity to introduce herself further. Hi, everyone. Um, wow, that was it in a nutshell. Almost I do. <laughs> I have three adult kiddos who I adore, who I have raised on my own since 2005. They're all in their 20s and I have one that just hit 30, which is hard to believe. Um, I do have an evolving number of animals at my house. Anytime dogs, cats, we've had litter trained rabbits rats, lizards, everything going around the house. I am happiest with a book in my hand or being creative. Um, lately, my home's been my outlet, creating a, a fun, eclectic environment to live in and definitely living joyfully sober since uh, August of 2018. Nice. So coming up on five years. Yes, August 26th. Today, we're going to talk about several different facets around sobriety. And like we just mentioned, Jelaine has been sober for almost five years. And I recently made the decision in April to quit drinking. And the reason I wanted to talk with Jelaine about this topic is one, because she's been so open about her journey through sobriety um, over the years. And I've followed along with that on social media. And even before sobriety was remotely at all of interest to me. Um, I've watched as Jelaine has, has gone down this path. So then when it became a problem or when I acknowledged that it became a problem for me this spring, I reached out to Jelaine because she had been so open about her story and I knew that she wouldn't judge me. Um, although I still was like timid about it and afraid, not afraid of judgment, but just afraid that 
I would be seen, I think, as like a drunk. <laughs> like this, you'd be like, oh, I didn't know that you had that problem. <laughs> like, oh, wow, you must have some issues. So, and I think that comes from just our culture. There's ironically, you know, no shame in binge drinking and talking about drinking, but there is like a stigma around talking about having a problem with drinking um, or being uncomfortable with your your level of intake or not being able to consume alcohol. We're afraid to even admit it to ourselves, which I experienced that, let alone somebody else. So it was a it was a moment of vulnerability for me, even though I know that you've gone through this yourself, uh, I still was like kind of hesitant to do so. So anyway, so that's why we're talking about this. That's why um, I'm talking with Jelaine about it. I would love to give you a moment, Jelaine, to kind of just introduce your story around drinking and why you quit. All right, absolutely. Um, first off, I'm delighted you reached out. I'm always happy when somebody does. You would um, be amazed at how many people I joke around slide into my DMs to talk about that. <laughs> And I always, um, unless they're open about it, you know, that is just something I always keep confidential about who yeah. has reached out to me. And, um, but I always feel like when I get to talk about it to others, it does um, help me on my journey. Um, so my sobriety story actually happened before I got sober. <laughs> so I had in 2017, all my kids were, have graduated and I wasn't really needed anymore as, uh, you know, I wasn't running kids to practice. I wasn't going here. I wasn't doing this. And I had um, just ended a very, another toxic relationship. <laughs> like I am like, I was queen of them, right? Like I just seemed to absolutely attract one sort of person and usually very narcissistic, usually a person who drank a lot, usually a person, I don't know, it, it has a lot to do with my type. I, I'm a psychology major and I have a minor in communication and I love talking about, you know, personalities and I seem to really draw in people who are narcissistic. Now I've learned a lot about why I do that now and hopefully have changed that and that all is part of it. So I woke up and I just took a big old look at my life and I just thought, this is not what I wanted. This isn't what I signed up for. And if I could, what's one word that I wish I could describe my life and the word I came up was whole. Like I wanna feel whole. And being the kind of person that I am, I wrote down what whole looked like for me. I made a whole list of the things that I wanted in a journal. I've journaled since I've been in elementary school and kept them all. <laughs> me too. I have, a pact, I have a pact with my best friend that if um, if I pass away before she does, she comes and gets all the journals and burn them because my kids do not need to read what's in them. <laughs> Is that Gail? Yes, it's Gail. Yeah. <laughs> She's like, she is going to burn them all. And so, and then I wrote about what steps could I take to get whole? And one of the first things, and I've never had a stigma around therapy, probably because I'm a psych major, but I decided to find a therapist and I'd had one on and off over the years, but never found one that clicked. And I finally found the one. And I really felt like it was truly the one I felt like, oh my gosh, finally. Mm -hmm. And I did, I started working with Dr. Rosenack over a year and a half, but about six months and nine months in, I finally looked at her and I said, okay, I'm ready to tell you something. Mm -hmm. And she's like, oh, okay, what's that? And I, and this is just a trigger warning, just in case this is about. Yeah, them. thank you. Yes. I uh, told her that I had been raped at 14 and I had never told a soul. 
ever. Um, I had been asked over to a neighbor's house, three houses away from us to um, uh, watch his kiddos and his kiddos weren't there. And I did not know that. And um, he proceeded to rape me and I never told anyone. I'd been raised in a super conservative home. So in my head that triggered, okay, now I'm not going to heaven. I'm used goods. I'm not and that just began the whole thing that just began to, to spiral. So being super type A, I'm an only a child, all those things, I tried to excel in everything, mm-hmm. but there was always that. So we started to deal with that. We started to talk about that. We did visualization, we cut cords, we did EMDR, which really was the thing that finally helped me get past that. So now that I just look at that, I can talk to you about it just like it's an event, any event Mm -hmm. that's happened in the past of my life. I don't become really emotional over it anymore. And people are like, oh, well, you're not emotional. Well, I've done lots of work not to be emotional. But then we just started to to do other things about how has that been with the people you've attracted, the ways that you perform, that you always had to, you know, be perfectionistic and everything had to be, you know, all the ways. And that did it. And so one by one, we started to work on those things and life started to fall into place except for the one thing. And I really did never talk to her about it. It was that I drank and it was, and I hadn't really done that when my kids were there, but my kids were gone now. I had a group of girlfriends that were single. We went out a lot. But then what I found was that all of a sudden I'm like, oh, I can have this at my house. And I just found like any time that I drank, I never drank without the sole purpose of altering my reality. I didn't drink because it complimented my food or I thought it necessarily tasted good. I did it because the moment that it hit my system, I exhaled. Mm -hmm. And that was just something that I had never done. Like I could just, I didn't have social anxiety anymore. I didn't, I didn't really give a crap. (laughs) It was just a big, and I relaxed. And so that was it. So finally, and I really felt like it didn't, my drinking didn't hurt anybody. My kids Mm -hmm. were gone. So it wasn't that the next day I wasn't being a crappy mom because they couldn't get Mm -hmm. in bed and take care of them. But my kids would see it if they dropped by, or I wasn't maybe a stellar employee that next day, if I'd gone out on a weeknight, or I just lost days where I didn't feel great. And the older you get, the harder the hangovers are, the longer they last. It's just not fun. Plus also, I mean, come on. It, back then, a woman in her 40s, I mean, do you really need that? You know what I mean? I mean, come on. I was just like, it wasn't classy. <laughs> I was just like, but I was fun. And the other thing was I was fun. Mm-hmm. I wasn't a mean drunk. I wasn't mm-hmm. a teary drunk. I was like the ringmaster. I was the life of the party. I wanted everybody to go and do and I finally hit a point one night where my behavior hurt somebody else. Hmm. And that was it. I was like, and I woke up the next day, not really remembering what happened, but knowing just this funny feeling inside Mm -hmm. that I was like, I can't do this anymore. I never had a DUI. I mean, I never lost everything. My career only kept going up. I mean, I never Which makes it even easier to like shove it to the side, be like, I'm fine. I'm fine. Right. I mean, I, I mean, I remember when I got sober that somebody's like, you need to get up and you make your bed every day. And I'm like, I've made my bed every day since I've been in elementary school. I mean, (laughs) 
There wasn't oh a bed. I mean, I've always made my bed. I like how I like how it looks. Like I like yeah. getting into made beds. So I was just looking at this and and so I was like, okay, I can't drink anymore. And so I remember coming in to Dr. Rosnack and I was like, um, and I didn't go through shakes or detox, you know what I mean? There wasn't mm-hmm. that. I didn't drink in the office. Yeah. I didn't, you know what I mean? Like I didn't make it embarrass myself at my kids' wedding reception. I don't even think I had a drink that night. It's just, they were just, when I did drink, I wasn't going to stop. Yep. One was never going to be enough. Yeah. And um, because I had to alter that reality. And so when I talked to Dr. Rosnack and I go, I think I have a problem with alcohol. I mean, she even was like, what? Like, mm. you, really? I don't know. I'm not picking up on this. And, you know, so yeah. like how I do anything, I have to go to extremes. <laughs> so I'm like, that's it. I'm not drinking anymore. I'm going to AA. I'm doing all this stuff, right? Like I was like, I'm in. And what I've learned over the years is, and what I'm happy to talk about more is I really think I'm more of a gray area drinker. Mm -hmm. There's that, um, I'm not, I went to AA on and off for five years. I really utilized the 12 step program, which I think anybody can use. We all have something that we are addicted to. And I wanted mm-hmm. to make sure my addictions didn't go back to like shopping or relationships or that. Yeah. But I had already had so much emotional sobriety before I got sober with therapy. And then I didn't relate to a lot of the stories within the room mm-hmm. in 12-step program. I didn't relate to losing a job, losing my family, wrecking a car, going to prison, having DUIs, having court issues. All I was just like, dude, I just like, felt like a crappy human. I hurt somebody else's feelings. And people are yeah. looking at me like, what are you doing here? Yeah. I knew that I wasn't living my very best life. Yeah. I wasn't. And that, and it wasn't a part of being whole. Yeah. And I didn't like who I was as a person. Yep. When I drank, even though other people might have. And I made poor decisions and I ran my mouth. And, and, <laughs> and, you know what I mean? There's yeah. just no filter. And yeah. I didn't want to, I didn't want to look, I didn't want my kids going, yeah, that's our mom standing on top of the bar dancing <laughs> Justin Bieber. Yeah. <laughs> or whoever it is at the moment. I, mean, I didn't want them to do that. Really fun at one moment, but not so much fun when you look back at it. So yeah. when I got sober and um and it's been a journey since then of finding the right, what I call a program or whatever the things that work for me to stay sober. There's a lot of, I feel like there's a lot of commonalities between your story and mine. So if it's okay, I'll share my story. So I actually did get a DUI in college when I was 20. And I know, well, so I have, I have a family history of alcoholism though. I say that with an asterisk because from the book, um, quit like a woman, Mm-hmm. that like changed the way I think about the word alcoholic. I, I won't even try to explain it, but she does, I think a beautiful job of explaining why that word is kind of bullshit, but I have a family history of abusing alcohol, um, several people in my lineage. And so, yeah. yep. so I have that. Um, and then in college, you know, I, I started drinking when I was 16 or 17 and it just continued through college. And it was just such a part of the fabric of my weekly, almost daily life. All my friends were doing it. In college, I spent my time going to class, working, drinking, and napping. And those that's like all I did. I didn't have hobbies. I didn't have interests outside of that. 
And I, I was a good student. You know, I wasn't one of those people who, um, drank so much and never went to class and failed out. Like I, I was able to function. Like I finished my degree in four years. I worked usually two jobs, but my only thing that I did outside of those two things was drink. And so it just, it, and I have, and had a lot of social anxiety, um, in college, I was pretty sick with CF. And so I, you know, would miss chunks of school because I was in the hospital being treated for lung infection. And so when I came back, the way that I coped with that was going out and drinking because that's how I like integrated myself back into the social scene. And I was the one, you know, I, I I'm also like a happy drunk. I don't cry. I wasn't mean, but I was the one who after several drinks, I'm up on the bar dancing and I would have never done that sober. I would have, you know, and then the next day I'm like, so painfully embarrassed. Like I'm by myself thinking about the things I did and I'm, my face is burning red. Like nobody's even around me and I'm like right. embarrassed. So I carried that through adulthood and it was just what I did. And I never really saw much of a problem with it. And then in 2020, early 2020, I got pregnant with my kids. Did, did not drink through my pregnancy. I, I want to say that like I, I wasn't drinking while I was pregnant. And then um, I remember saying like, oh, I can't wait to have a drink as soon as they're born. <laughs> like, <laughs> I'm going to have first thing, I'm going to have a beer. My husband, and I really enjoyed like going to craft breweries. That was something we enjoyed doing together. And, and um, I loved the taste of craft beer almost as much as I loved my altered state when I had had a couple or a few. So, you know, got back into like, not binge drinking, but like one or two in the evenings, um, pretty regularly, you know, once you become a mom, like your social life obviously changes, but there were a few times where I went like on girls trips and things like that. And I went all out like balls to the wall. Yep. Drunk. Um, and did embarrassing things that like my friends, thought were funny, but Mm -hmm. I was really embarrassed the next day. Um, and I told this story, but last year, about a year and a half ago, we went to Miami for my friend's 30th, got really drunk on a yacht and like, (laughs) it was on the back of the boat, like flashing and like, just all, and then we went to, we went to dinner afterward. And I just, I just was like, I don't even want to say the things I was doing. It's really not that bad. It's just embarrassing to me, but I embarrassed myself. And then we got to the airport I passed out in the terminal. Luckily, my friend was not as drunk as I was, so she made sure I got on the plane. I slept on the plane ride. We got to Kansas City. I was still drunk, and I was just like, whoa. And I remember after that, so my kids at that point were like one and a half, and I just felt like a bad person. And so I got back, and like I don't remember what, what Corey was doing, um, but I had the kids like on Sunday or whatever, and like did all the wholesome things, took them, took them to the park, took them, took them mm-hmm. to the library. So I could like, feel like a good person again, like kind of right. cleanse myself of all that embarrassing, like shameful energy that I had accumulated. Yes. And so it was just like that pattern continued, you know, I, I would drink throughout the week. And then when there was an event, binge drink for sure. So fast forward to the spring, you know, it, it had become a regular thing and I'm just feeling guilty. I'm like, I am, I'm like checking out in the evenings when my kids are home, you know, after we're done with work and my kids come home from daycare, I'm choosing to have a couple of drinks and not be fully present with them. And I I didn't like how that felt. And, and also I, you know, every time that we went out to eat or something, like 
in my mind, I was like, sweet, I can have a drink. Like this means I can have a drink. And just like, that was like my motivator. That was, that's what I looked forward to. And then, you know, there were several times, like I mentioned, I had already had a DUI 10 years ago where I would have like two beers, you know, my tolerance was fairly low, two or three and driving home paranoid the whole time thinking if I got pulled over for any reason right now, would I get in trouble? Would I get a DUI? Mm -hmm. And that like caused me so much anxiety. And then, you know, finally I was like, this is not help. Like I have too much to lose at this point. Yeah. You know, I'm married, I have kids. And if you get a second DUI within 10 years, like that was always in the back of my mind, that's like a big deal. And, and of course also there's the risk of me like hurting myself or somebody else, but I was really scared to quit. And so I finally was like, okay, I'm a journal journaler too. And I was like, I need to just get this out on paper. Like what is holding me back from quitting when I know that's the right thing to do. And so I made a pros cons list, the pros and cons of quitting. And the cons list was like, teeny tiny and the pros list was really really long and very aligned with my values and the cons list was so shallow it was literally like what will people think if I'm quote sober and I won't be as funny more and will how will social situations play out and that like those were the three things and so I was like okay so then that I think that's the night that I texted you and I was like I'm doing this and so I texted Jelaine and she recommended Quit Like a Woman by Holly Whitaker. Check that out for my library. Consumed it in 0.2 seconds mm-hmm. and was just like sold. And it was interesting um last weekend I went to my one of my cousins, she's actually my second cousin, uh her wedding and I'm really close with her mom and um she knows that I I mean, everybody knows at this point, I've declared it on social media, (laughs) that that helps hold me accountable. Honestly, like when I have weak moments, I'm like, I have declared this, like, Mm -hmm. you know, but anyway, so I was just chatting with her and I was like, mentioned something like, well, you know, I'm not drinking. And she's like, yep. And I was like, and I, you know, sometimes we'll have nightmares that I, that I drank and then I wake up in a panic and she's like, that's how you know you're doing the right thing. And I was yep. like, you're so right. Like that's, you know, if, if it wasn't necessary, then I wouldn't be having those moments of, it wouldn't be in my dreams and I wouldn't be panicking thinking that I drank, you know? So yeah, it's, it's been a, I think it's been like eight weeks now or something like that. And well, there have definitely been moments where I'm like, where everyone around me is drunk, like, you know, at concerts and stuff. I'm like, oh, it'd be so fun to be in an altered state. It, there's a couple times where I, my mind was like, what else can I do? <laughs> like, can I smoke <laughs> weed? Does somebody yeah. here have shrooms? And, <laughs> you know, but, but the nice thing is, is that I'm thinking these thoughts with a sober brain. So mm-hmm. I can rationalize and be like, Morgan, that's ridiculous. Like, what are you going to do? Go hit up. So, you know what I mean? Like, that's just, ridiculous and exactly. and you don't even like weed um but if I were drunk and those thoughts crossed my mind I would be like you know if I noticed someone have, had weed I'd be like give me a hit like right. even though that's not something I enjoy um mm. so it's it's so different having these thoughts with a sober mind and just knowing that you're in control um because when you're drinking you're not in control and and that's been like I think the best part of it is just knowing that I'm in control. Mm-hmm. There's no, when you, when you draw a hard line for yourself, it just takes away the option. 
which Holly Whitaker talks about that in her book. And there's no more because it's so easy when you're giving yourself when the door is open to be like, oh, what's one going to hurt? Like, it's fine. It's just one. And it just leaves it. It makes it more of a like a decision to be made. Whereas if you've already made the decision, there's no more decisions to be made. You're just not doing it. So so that's kind of how I came to it. There was no big event or anything, but I was I was scared of there be, being an event that would then force me, you know? And so I was like, I want to do this on my own, make the decision before something happens, where then I'm not only dealing with, you know, needing to quit, but I'm also dealing with lots of shame and guilt and the repercussions of my decision. So here we are. I have consumed a lot of Brene Brown books on shame. <laughs> yes. There is so much of that surrounding that as well. And like you, I think that's so uh, what you're talking about um, in college is that, you know, you besides going to school and work, you napped and drank. And I think that, you know, I was doing that. I was working and going out with my girlfriends and drinking and then recovering. Mm-hmm. And I didn't want that to be my life. And so it opened up a whole new thing for me. So when I got sober almost five years ago, I started doing new things. I started yeah. hiking. I found out I liked paddleboarding. I bought a kayak. I went on my first solo vacation and camped by myself and hiked by myself and, and you know, went and um, I bought a house. I mean, there were just so many things that, you know, I learned electrical. So I could inst- I mean, there's just... It was like a whole new thing and that hasn't stopped. You know, I I I have found those things. I I rediscovered reading. I've always read, but man, I consume now. And when um, you're not drunk in the evening, you can instead read before you exactly. go before you pass I, out for the night. <laughs> conscious connected breath, breath classes, you know, new moon circles, sound baths. I mean, I've tried everything. Like, you yeah. know, I've gone to all these things and found those things that done it. And I love it. I hate to sound cliche and like one of those memes, but it's like our one precious life. Yeah. And you're going to spend it drunk. I love that you're doing this early. You know, I I kick myself for not doing this sooner. Holly Whitaker hadn't written her book yet when I got sober. So the first Mm -hmm. book that I read was This Naked Mind by Annie Grace. And one of the things is she goes through the whole, like she deconditions you of like, you know, she talks about advertisements and how Mm -hmm. everybody's having fun and everybody's Mm -hmm. elegant and they're out having a great time. And, and then she talks about also like the chemical composition of alcohol that you're putting ethanol in your body, which is what we put in our cars. Yeah. Whitaker talks about that too. Mm -hmm. And so many people are like, I don't understand how you're 52. Like, what do you do to your face? I'm like, I don't do anything. I'm lucky if I wash my face if I go to bed. I don't drink alcohol. And they're like, shut up. And I'm like, really? I don't put poison in my body. Yeah, that. that was another big thing for me in reading Holly's book, which it's like, we know these things. We know what alcohol is. We know that it's that it's poison, like, but we, it's just so accepted culturally that we just, you know, it's like, well, everyone's doing it. It's fine. People have drank for millennia. It's fine. And we just ignore the facts because it's more convenient. Um, but when she kind of like laid that out and, you know, pointed out, which again, I think we already know these things, but pointed out that it's, it's harmful to literally every system in your body it, mm-hmm. it affects like the, it like 
kills your brain. Like it Mm -hmm. it can change your personality over time. And I've seen examples of that and it's really sad. And that was a big motivator for me. It was like, I don't want to end up like this person because I've seen what happens and I've seen how your personality changes. And it's sad. And I don't want my kids to ever go through that of like, my mom's a different person now. And I'm not talking about my mom, (laughs) but you know, I I think about my kids um, and I don't want them to lose me, you know? Right. Right. Well, and you and I are very open about the fact that we have struggled with depression as well. And alcohol is a depressant. Yeah. So then it's just even counterproductive because sure, I feel good at that moment, but the problem is staying right at that moment. Yeah. And one of the other books that I really thought was, and really what I do and is that I just also think that when I thought about the alcohol, alcohol, I use it as a coping mechanism, mm-hmm. right? I just have shitty coping mechanisms. When you know better, you do better, right? I didn't mm-hmm. have those tools yet and I found them finally. And now I have better coping skills, yeah. Yeah. like practicing mindfulness, staying in this moment, not trying to future cast or go back. It also helped with a lot of black and white thinking for me. I realized there was gray, right? So when I got sober, I was like, that's it. I'm an alcoholic, blah, 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 blah. I'm all. And then I realized that there was gray. So many people who struggle with substance abuse are black and white thinkers. Yeah. And so this opened up a whole world that not everything's black and white. And that was just so freeing to me to know that there were gray areas in yeah. that. And I think that's like why- either in between, like right. I'm an alcoholic versus I'm not an alcoholic. I'm not, like, right. And then this gray area of like, yeah. it's not working for me, right? It's not working for me. And could I, the rest of my life, sometimes I wonder this, could I just say, okay, I'm just going to have one drink and that's it. I but couldn't. It would do two things. I couldn't do it. And I would be miserable if I tried. Yeah. It's so much work. It's so much more work because you're constantly having to think like, am I going to? And then you give yourself and then you're like, oh, it's fine. You can have one more. And so you have one more and then you're, and then you're disappointed with yourself. And then, Mm -hmm. and then, you know, you come off of it and you're dealing with, you know, for me, it was like, I, I don't know which one came first. Maybe sometimes it was anxiety. Maybe sometimes it was depression, but it's like those things feed each other, right. the anxiety yes. and the depression. So say it's anxiety first, the next day I wake up and I'm all anxious. Cause I'm like, Oh God, what did I say? And then I remember what I said. And then that makes me depressed. Cause I'm like, God, that was so embarrassing. Like, and, and I, I disappointed myself. I failed myself. Like I didn't want to drink last night and I did. Mm-hmm. And then I said something stupid and now I'm embarrassed. And so then it's just like this, like feedback loop. It is exactly. It is. And when I got sober and I told everybody, so I outed myself at 60 days, I decided to make it public on social media. And, um, up until then I hadn't, I just made excuses not to go out with people, but then Mm -hmm. I was like, well, just so you know, I've gotten sober and a few of my close girlfriends had been around that last time that I drank. And they're like, we've all done that. Mm -hmm. Like we've all done something stupid and hurt somebody else. Like, it doesn't mean you're like, you have to stop. Like nobody was really excited about me stopping. Yeah. You know what I mean? So it was like, I don't, and it was, I don't know if it's because it made them feel better or all of a sudden they had to look at their behavior. But all I know is that it was better for me. I don't look at anybody else's drinking and think, oh my gosh, you have a problem. Like that is not, I only worry about me. I don't sit there and judge anybody else out there 
I am shocked by the people that reach out to me sometimes. I'm like, I would never know. Mm-hmm. But I've also loved when people come back and be like, hey, I'm celebrating a year because you were honest about your story. Yeah. And I knew that there was no shame. Like the shame was gone if I spoke it out loud. Yes. Like, the shame is in our secrets. Okay. Yeah. And I was tired of holding on to secrets. I was tired of not talking about being raped you know, struggling with, you know, I had been raised in a very, very religious home and struggling when I deconstructed that, that was a whole journey of um, coming into myself and then getting sober and, you know, raising kids on my own and facing the fact that, you know, I have to say I've been divorced twice. That sucks. I was so mortified. I was ready to stay in a really horrible marriage. Just, just so you didn't have to, have to say it twice. I did not have to say I've been divorced twice. I mean, I was like, nobody wants that on their resume. Like, stop it, yeah. you know? But then also coming to the point where when I got sober, like what I thought whole was going to look like was all these things but it's turned out to be hardly any of those things. I thought, oh, being whole will be mean that I can have a really successful romantic relationships. And now it's five years later and I really don't want one. Yeah. <laughs> like, I really love who I am and the freedom I have to do whatever I want to, whenever I want to. And, yeah. I, and I, I'm not ready to give that up yet in order to do that. I, I mean, it's so funny. I wouldn't have thought that I'm my best company now. Yeah. I'm great with that. When you're able to be honest with yourself, then you're much better company for yourself. Yes. (laughs) You know? I love that blank space in my, you know, I used to fill up my calendar. So there was actually- Distraction, distraction, distraction. Sometimes I would double book in case one would call through. (laughs) And I remember also one of the things that really struck me was if I would go out with my girlfriends and say it was a mellow night and they would only have like one drink and I'd be like, what? I felt like I failed. Like, this isn't mm-hmm. fun. I mean, a mm-hmm. good happy hour ended at 2 a.m. Like not like that. And I felt, but I also felt responsible for everybody's fun. Mm, that's and, exhausting. Oh, it's so tiring and that everybody had to get a good time. And I felt like I was just in charge of all that and what's been so great is I'm in charge of nothing now you're in just charge like, of, I'm responsible you. for me yeah this is it right here and if you guys have a good time or not I that is not on me that's on you yeah so that giving that up of like carrying everybody and having it just it felt so heavy yeah. and now it feels so free and I have a little sign in my house that Gail lettered for me that says, it's okay to be happy with a calm life. Mm-hmm. And I really am protective of that, of yeah. that peace and calm. And I hope that people, when they, they're around me or when they walk into my house, they feel that. That's yeah. been a huge thing for me. But it doesn't well, like, feel chaotic or drama. <laughs> yeah. Like you were saying about like uh, your divorces, Something that, that comes to mind for me and that I've seen a few times is that it matters more how your life feels than how your life looks. Mm -hmm. And I feel like when we're able to let go of those things, like, like to use that example, you know, Oh, how's it going to look if I have two divorces? Well, wouldn't you rather like how your life feels and either be with somebody or be by yourself that feels good Mm -hmm. versus like staying with somebody just because you don't want it to look bad that you've had two divorces. And and that was kind of like how it was for me with being like outspoken about quitting drinking. I was like, you know, when you hold on to those things and um, keep them to yourself, like, 
like a couple months ago, I was like, oh my God, I don't want anybody to know that I have quote a problem with alcohol. Like how would that look? Uh And then once I let go of that and put that out there, I feel so much better. And I got like a lot of support from people who I didn't expect support from that, you know, cause I was like, surely people are going to think less of me. Right. And people don't No. like, I think people admire you. They're like, wow. I mean, you stood up to that. You stopped it. You were doing that. But then it also just opens it up to people who are like, oh, maybe, maybe there's something to that. Maybe. Yeah. I, and you know, if it, you know, because we weren't gutter drunks, right? Like we're not homeless. We weren't living out there. We were maintaining careers and families and all this, but acknowledging that of saying, Hey, you can still look like you have it all together and not have anything together. Yeah. And I had nothing together. I was, and I was afraid of becoming a gutter drunk one day. Yes. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. it's like, where can oh, this I lead you? I thought, how long before I, it's all comes it, tumbling down. It all comes tumbling down. Somebody realizes you know, that this is it, that they're like, uh, uh-uh. uh. so, you know, it's like, when you ask, can I say where you work in this and that? Heck yeah. I mean, wouldn't they rather have a sober employee rather than a, <laughs> and I, I know the thing that also it's been really hard is the world revolves around alcohol, even oh, big time work events and, you know, all these things that, and navigating that. And at first it, it's the only thing that people go, you know, when you say, oh, no, thanks. I don't drink or I don't want to, oh, what are you an alcoholic? And they laugh and you're like, you don't ask somebody when they don't eat gluten, if they're a glutenaholic or, oh, I'm not having dessert. What are you fat? You know what I mean? Yeah. Or something like, you gotta, like, you don't, it, it, it's the only thing that you can say, oh, I don't do that. And people think they have a right to ask you ridicule you and ridicule you and be like, oh. and ridicule. Yeah. Like, oh, okay. And, and it's, you know, but I, at now after almost five years, I'm very comfortable about being in a room where people are drinking and I don't have to anymore. I have just yeah. as much fun and I, and, but it took a while to get used to that. You know what I mean? I used yeah. to only be like, okay, I'm going for 45 minutes and then I'm leaving. <laughs> right. Yeah, right. Now I'm like, you know, things, I mean, it was, I put time limits, but it, it can get exhausting. And if it gets exhausting, then I leave. God, when COVID hit, Mm. all anybody did was drink and mm-hmm. everybody be like let's get on zoom and drink or mm-hmm. you know like oh it's three o'clock on friday why don't we all pop on zoom and have a drink um, i was like good gosh like i mean i was so grateful that i was already sober by then because i would have been i'm sure gutter drunk by then i mean yeah. nobody was gonna know that i was drinking or not right no. And so that was it. I really, truly admire people who got sober during the pandemic. That's like the opposite of what most people were doing. I was very grateful that I already had that, that I had already established a program that worked for me, a routine that works for me, whatever you want to call it. I, you know, that's, and it's evolving. And, And for me, it does evolve. I think that's the other thing that, that I found that a 12-step program wasn't probably going to fit me just right is that Mm -hmm. I evolve as a person. And so my, whatever I do to stay sober needs to evolve with. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And that's what, um, and, and it is, I incorporate new things. I drop things that don't work or I don't feel like I need anymore. I lived off of a sober app when I first got sober of like pledging every day, tracking my feelings. What did I do today? Was there any triggers? Now I still have it just because it's some days it's fun to look and be like, oh, I have 1,600 and whatever days or whatever it is. But 
on a whole, I don't need that. I can, I already have become in tune to check in with my emotions to know where I am. And I already yeah. have become very aware of what you took off the triggers me, right? Yeah. What triggers me. Um, and so, and how to cope with that. Yeah. Right. And, and regular therapy. Next. Well, you know, what's interesting, like that we, I think we have in common and we keep kind of coming back to is needing to escape our own brains. And like, like you were saying earlier, when you would have a drink of alcohol, you'd exhale and be like, oh, okay. okay. Mm-hmm. And for me, like, that's kind of one thing where I'm at right now is I, I think a big part of my drinking was to get a break for myself because mm-hmm. I am an overthinker. I'm a ruminator. I yes. am anxious. And so drinking just shut it all down for a little yep. while. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm on Prozac and then another medication, which is like an amplifier of Prozac to help with my anxiety, which it, it does help. And it, it manages that. But sometimes I'm still like, God, like, I don't want to drink for, you know, X, Y, Z reason, but it would be nice to just shut my brain off for a little while. Yes. So, um, so what do you do? Like, what are some healthy ways that you do to kind of like give yourself a break from yourself? Yeah. Which is totally, that is so it. I too am a, I live in my brain. When I, I read that 50% of the population don't have internal conversations and their what? brains are quiet. That's what I read. Something like that. And I was like, your brain, you don't hear your brain all the time. I Sometimes I have conversations out loud with myself. Like if oh, I'm ready too. in Especially, the mirror. I, mean, I live alone. I do it all the time. So the first thing that I did before was my therapist suggested meditation. So I use a app called the insight timer um, that I use guided meditation and, um, it has been super helpful. And I tell people all the time, it's, there's a reason they say it's a practice is it doesn't happen overnight. And I'm not ever, I've never ascended to some different, you know, I'm not on some different plane or level, but it does quiet my mind. Um, nature helps me a lot. Just hiking Mm -hmm. in the quiet. I don't wear headphones while I, um, hike like I don't have any earplugs in I just listen to the quiet and I try to do that um I'm really a big believer in what I call blank space so it was kind of funny all my this is I'll age myself but I was joking one day I was sitting out with my girlfriends and I was talking about um books on tape and they're like you mean audio books and I'm like shut up <laughs> on tape <laughs> I was like, I was like you know then they went to cds and then they went to audio and I know we all stream everything now but when I do that but when I discovered that and podcast I found that um I was listening to something all the time mm-hmm. and there was never a quiet right so either I was going to listen to a podcast um I was listening to a book I had music on and so now I make it a practice not even in meditation to sit at what I call blank space of just 10 minutes of just kind of sitting quiet, even if it's just with a cup of tea and I'm just sitting in the house with nothing on. I'm like, you can't turn your book on. You can't turn that podcast on. You can't turn the TV, no music, just sit in the quiet. Even if it's driving for 10 minutes with nothing on. And Mm -hmm. I really find that that kind of starts to quiet my mouth. I let myself talk to myself or my brain really starts to really kind of I don't know. It's almost like it starts to organize things. Mm-hmm. It's almost not like quiet again. Everything kind of starts to fall in its little slot. And I'm like, oh, okay. And I and that's been good, but nature's been good. Meditation's been good. I definitely put in some self-care practices that I hadn't before. I was terrible at self-care. I took control of so many areas of my life. 
that it was unbelievable. You know, even deconstructing the very, I call it a cult. I was raised in Christian nationalism. Like it was very, yeah. I lived in fear most of my life that the rapture was going to occur and I wasn't going to go because I did one thing that messed up. I mean, I'm telling you like that was a whole thing too. Like wow, being an independent thinker and, and God, it felt like it was just a tangle, like of a web of pulling yeah. out so many things. Well, and, and how does that work today? Cause like you have a good relationship with your parents, but it sounds like you think very differently. Oh than- Yeah. We don't talk about politics or religion in a way. I, I, I do believe in a higher power. So that's it, which is kind of, uh, AA calls it a higher power too. So that mm-hmm. works out very well for me. I believe there's something bigger than me, or if there's mm-hmm. not, we're screwed. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, if there's not something bigger out there than just me, you know, oof. but um, we have to like walk we walk a fine line with that, with my parents. That's, mm. that's been a really, I mean, when Trump took office, that, that really became very difficult because they were Trump flag flying folks. And I was like, who are you? You raised me. Like, and I think they look at me and think, who are you? We raised you. Right. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I can't stay quiet anymore about things mm-hmm. like that. I have kids that, you know, who, there are free thinkers too. And, and, and I'm glad that I raised them that way, but that has been tough. Mm -hmm. Again, that was a lot of the reason I drank, um, perfectionism and having to be like, I have to mold myself because I have to, this is what my parents want from me. I'm an only child and, you know, and love them, even though we see things differently and we see things very, very differently. We don't talk about the substance abuse in my family. That's mm-hmm. why I won't, you know what I mean? Like I'm not going to out them because we weren't allowed to talk about it. Yeah. And so that's, that's a hidden secret, right? So again, the shame's in your secret. And so when I was really verb, like very out about it, I think my parents were like, what in the world are you doing? You know? Yeah. Think, You're revealing your shame. I'm, I'm, I'm letting it go. And, and I'm glad I did it. And I don't, and I think that, you know, it's just like anything. When I first started, I talked about it more. I thought I also knew a lot (laughs) and now I'm five years in and I feel like I know less and I don't quite talk about it as much, but it is definitely the reason my sobriety is absolutely the reason that my life looks like it is right now. That came over that time of working through that. And, and like I said, I mean, I found a lot of value in it and working 12 steps of writing all that stuff down, but I don't need to, for me, I didn't, I, I really stay on that 12 step, which is just paying it forward. Mm-hmm. Who can I talk to? How can, if anybody needs me, I want to be available, but I don't feel the need to, and, and, and making amends if I've hurt anybody, that kind yeah. of thing of just going through the thing. But honestly, with all the therapy that I've done and all that stuff, I don't, you know what I mean? I've moved on. Like I've evolved as a person, right? And well, and I think it's important to note too, like that AA and the 12 step program, which again, I feel like I've referenced a hundred times, but it's in a Holly Whitaker's book. She gives kind of a history of AA and how it really was created for middle-class white men, but it's, Mm -hmm. it's been for like a hundred years, it's been the standard of if you're getting sober, this is what you do. And it's so interesting right. that there's not really a well-known alternative. Right. Right. Um, 
but you know, I never, AA was never something that I felt like was right for me. I, I didn't really have a reason. It just, I was like, I don't think that's for me, but reading her book, I was like, whoa, even more not for me, like literally not for me. Like this was yeah. made for a very specific type of person. And um, she particularly talks about, you know, how it's not for people of marginalized identities and, like, right. and it's not for women because like the, one of the tenets of it is that you are, it seeks to convince you that like you're powerless and you need right. to submit to the fact that you're an alcoholic and you can't be trusted. And she talked about how like, as women, like we don't, we don't need to be knocked down like that. Like, you know, we right. already have a lower, we're already on a lower rung in society. Like exactly. we're not middle-class white men who have all the privilege in the world and who have like this, you know, not that all white men fit into like the same box, but just, just the, the way that it was created by white men for white men. And so it, mm -hmm. and a lot of people don't feel connected to AA and, you know, think like, right. well, if this isn't for me, then I'm just screwed. Cause this is all there is. And it's like, and there's there a whole sober community in, mm -hmm. in, out there that people who don't utilize it. And I, and I feel more at home with that community. Yeah, me too. That's what I found. And I also I'm under the belief I can pick and choose out of it. Yes. Things, right? I was just going to say that. I love that idea of take what works for you, leave what doesn't. Leave what doesn't. And, you know, they will tell you, well, most people would tell you, well, the 12 steps are just suggestions, except that, yes, she keeps saying that, but you act like I absolutely have to live by this mm -hmm. code. Otherwise you fail. This. And, and I just feel like that didn't work for me. It and it's also work. very black and white. Like yes, it's very black and white. It's like either you're... Stuff. You're doing yes. this and you're following the steps and you're sober mm -hmm. or you've fallen off the wagon and you're drunk and yeah. there's no yeah, in that, between. Some people that's going to work for them. It's just right. was not what was going to work for me. I don't need to go for an hour every day for the rest of my life and talk about my sobriety. I, I, the reason that I got sober was to live my life. Not talk about it constantly. Not talk about it or to be stuck in a room talking right? Yeah. I just want to live it. I got to make sure I keep in touch with why I'm here and I'm doing the things that keep me healthy, but I don't want to, I don't want it to be what defines me. Have that be the fixture in your I life. Mean, like, yeah. Yeah. Like I want it to be, it's just one of those things. Oh, and by the way, she's sober. Yeah. You know what I mean? But I also want it to be there. So people know that I'd be happy to talk to them. I feel like, I mean, if you were to use a metaphor, like sobriety, should be like the door that's there for you to walk through to the rest of your mm -hmm. life rather than like, you know, to say like, this is the fixture of your life. Like, this is the thing you come in here to look at. Like, yes. it's not that it's, it's a more of a door. The door. Yes. Exactly. Focus on. Mm -hmm. Probably the year before I got sober, I did do a hundred days sober mm. and I got so much done during that hundred days, but I was on a freaking countdown. Mm. Like it's like a drink again. Like yeah. it was mixing off the calendar until I could drink, but I got a lot done. And that should have been like a, a little, because what I thought red flag, <laughs> you know, normal people don't have to do a hundred days without booze. Yeah. Just I, I tried eight weeks, I think exercise program thing through orange theory, um, transformation challenge. And I was like, mm -hmm. okay, alongside of this, I'm going to also not drink. I lasted two weeks. Because once I knew that there was like an end, mm -hmm. I was like, eh, you know, this isn't really whatever. Yeah. So like when you put that, when you put like a drink at the finish line, then it's right. like, 
tempting to run towards that. But if there's yeah. no drink and there's no finish line, then you're not running. You just keep going. And that's just yeah. it. And that's what I try to tell. And then people are like, well, you know, I mean, daunting, like never again for the rest of your life. And I'm like, well, I try not to think of anything that way. Yeah. Right. Like, I don't try to sit there. And I mean, I just try to go, well, I mean, it, and again, that's probably an AA saying, but I'm just going to get through today and we'll just see how tomorrow goes. I mean, yeah. you know what I mean? I'm like, I mean, all I know is I have to look back at the history of the past five years and it's been the best five years. So much better. Yeah. So much better. So and that's many what more- I hear from everybody who's been, you know, nobody, I, I mean, I'm sure not- that there might be people out there, but I haven't heard anybody say like, oh my God, I was sober for five years and it was awful. And I'm so glad I'm not. No, one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And guess what? Even to the point where I don't like, I don't feel after I've been with people anymore that I even not drinking, I even, I would have done it. I would have gone through all those conversations and been like thinking about, oh, why did I say that? I said, I don't think I have crap anymore. But yeah. other people's opinions of me just doesn't matter anymore. What matters is my opinion of me. Yeah. And um, and that's a freedom that is just there's an exhale, right? Of like yeah. just letting go what everybody thinks about you because really nobody's thinking about you. Everybody talks. My mother-in-law said that always sticks in my mind when I think of like something wise that she told me before. It's it's none of your business what people what other people say about you. Mm-hmm. And I remember when she told me that I was like, oh, yes, it is. <laughs> Absolutely it is. But uh you know, it's something that I will just like always kind of like chew on. And I'm like, yeah, that's, and I think I'm not quite there yet. I still care what people think about me, but I think, you know, maybe that kind of comes with age. It comes with it. It definitely does. Trust yeah. me. Yeah. Yeah. You hit 50 and you're like, whatever. I mean, it's, I remember people are like, oh my gosh, like aging must be horrible. And I have loved every single bit of it. I yeah. love, I mean, I'm not thrilled that, you know, my neck doesn't look the same anymore or <laughs> I'm like, oh, look at the, you know, I have some more wrinkles or, you know, your body betrays you a bit, but man, I really have enjoyed this time in my life. I'm reading a great book called Hagitude right now that I love about the last half of your life about making it the best. And really for women, I think it is. I mean, I've done the time, right? I was a young mom. I had my first mm-hmm. at 22, my third by 27. And that was it, right? 22, 25, 27. And I, and I was into my kids. I did all those things, but this has been such a freedom to get to come into my own and, and to have this time and have adult kids and nice well let's wrap up with some fun q a so for starters what's your favorite thing about yourself i would say my creativity i definitely find that as a gift and as an outlet what is something that you appreciate in other people great listeners the skill that i'm trying to really pull into myself is to talk less and listen more and i man people who already have that those nine those those peacemakers, those nines on the Enneagram, which I am an Enneagram like freak. I'm always like, oh, I love them. Like, I just love, they feel like your personal Zen garden. Those Question people. about Enneagram, because every time I've never like, I don't think I've taken the like actual quiz, but every time I see, you know, like a, um, mm-hmm. a carousel on Instagram or something about like all of them, I'm like, mm-hmm. I feel like I'm all of them. What Enneagram would you diagnose me as? Um, I would say you're going to be a five or a six. The observer, the loyalist is my okay. guess. Or four, tragic romantic. I think you're in that four, five, six. It'd be interesting to see, but I bet you 
um, you probably fall in one of those. So I'm a seven. I'm an enthusiast. It's not hard for anybody to ever figure so you're that like out. like a solid seven. Like you don't. I was saw I I wing on a six. So we all have wings. I so I wing on that loyalist. So that's where um, the worrying about things and all that mm. stuff that falls into place. But that seven is that sevens have the most tendency to be addicts. We live excessively. We like then going to the next thing and doing the next adventure. And we have a really hard time living in the present. So that's um, bringing that all in. I do that, but yeah, Four, I would okay. look I'll, I'll look and see what these mean. Cause look I always just have such a hard time with it. I'm like, I, I relate a, to all of these. <laughs> I, know, I don't know. I know it's so you're laughing, but I took a whole weekend. I took like a six week class on the Enneagram. I loved it. It was so great. I took it with a psychiatrist and I thought it was just, I love to take educational learning classes yeah. or anything like that. So so what's a favorite book of yours, which I know is going to be kind of an unfair question because I'm pretty sure you read like 25 books a month or something. I do read 25 books a month uh, about that. I would say um, Untamed really stuck with me by Glennon Doyle and Rising Strong by Brene Brown and The Body Keeps Score. Those three mm -hmm. are probably the, but I mean, I have a whole, I have some that, you know, just are, those are self-help. Yeah, those kind of self-help books. And um, for fiction, The Book of Longings by Sue Monk Kidd was probably one of my mm. top books. I thought it was fantastic. What is one thing that you would want someone to come away from this conversation knowing about sobriety? That you can walk through the door. <laughs> like, I love that metaphor you use, that, that it's not scary and it's not the end of your life. It's really yeah. the beginning. It is the beginning of great things. And that normal drinkers don't, it doesn't ever pop into their brain. Am I drinking too much? I found that anybody who questions it is most likely in that gray area. At least. Yeah. Even um, if people, including your doctor mm -hmm. tells you, yeah. no, I think you're fine. Which, oh, I think you're fine. Exactly. That held me yeah. off for a long time. Cause I would kind of raise the flag a little bit and be like, I think maybe like it's too much. Mm -hmm. And it would be like, well, just, you know, watch it. But I think you're fine. Oh, so you're young, push it off, push it off, push it off. Yeah. Because yeah. you know, and you yeah. know, you know, and really they're not seeing you when you're coming home or you're stumbling or you've gotten into a car because I've done all those things. The fact that I never got a DUI is amazing. And now it is mortifying to think that I endangered other people and myself. Yeah. But also, you know, they don't, they don't see, I got really tired of not being able to look at myself in the mirror. Yeah. And being ashamed of how I was living and, and what I was drinking to cover up, which yeah. only created more problems, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. So I would tell people that there's a better way. It's, I, I love my life today. I would not have told you that five years ago. What's something that you're really grateful for, right? Now? So I make a gratitude list every day of five things. It's like how I end the day with my journal. Um, because I do think that, um, being grateful is one of the best keys to staying sober. I would say beside my sobriety is always top and center of that, but I've been really grateful for my home. Um, not so much that, that I even own it. It's not that, but um, because it has become, it feels like such a refuge to me that when I come in, it 
feels like me. I feel like it's such a sense of accomplishment of like, I did this all by myself. But yeah, I'm really grateful for my home. I'm always grateful for my kids. Always, always, always. Even when they're pain in the ass, I still am. And trust me, I got one that's a real pain in the ass still. But I mean, I really am grateful for them. I mean, I feel like I really raised some good humans who are really so much farther along than I ever was at their age Mm -hmm. and knowing what's important and caring about their community and being open-minded, whether it's environmentally or the people and issues that that's really, I'm really impressed that I was able to raise (laughs) humans that did that because I, it's so different than what I was raised. Well, Jelaine, thank you so much for talking with me about this topic. Like three months ago, I couldn't have ever imagined myself talking about this openly. Like it it was the thing that I was afraid of people finding out about. And now I feel really quite comfortable in it. So I just thank you for kind of like helping facilitate that because I think you did more than you know, just like by being open about it. And you were, I think, kind of the first example of somebody I saw who or somebody I knew who I didn't know had a a problem or however you want to. Mm-hmm. phrase that um and then was honest about it um i think the honesty really was something that um with other people in my life who had issues with alcohol was just absent and so it was it was like a totally new thing to me and so even before i 5 years before i got there myself i think i was like internalizing that and just paying attention so so thank thank you. You. I'm so glad. I'm just so proud of you. I mean, it's it it takes this, it takes us to end the stigma and to talk about, and then also just to make it. I just want people to think it's normal. Yeah, because it is. It, it's it an is. option that it's an option out there that you don't have to live your life that way. And plus, the other thing is, you're gonna really love what it does for your bank account. <laughs> you're gonna go out to dinner and be like, "What's what?" <laughs> Yeah. I mean, I mean, it just always blows me away of just all the benefits that people don't think financially, health, mm-hmm. emotionally, spiritually, all the things that it opens up. And I'm well, so you're no longer literally poisoning your body and your yes, mind exactly. and your spirit. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And that's why I'm so glad that you're just doing this work and putting it out there and that you gave me a chance to talk about it. Like I said, it's one of my favorite things to talk about. I don't talk about it near as much as I used to, but, but I'm so grateful for it. Thanks for listening to the Makers, Dreamers, Doers podcast with me, Morgan Barrett. Please remember to follow, review, and share this podcast with anyone who you think would enjoy it. Your support helps more people find the podcast. You can also find me on Instagram at morganbarrett underscore underscore and check out my website for more information at morganbarrett.co.